0: Okay, this morning we're in book of Esther, chapter 2, we'll be starting in verse 21, so we should finish up chapter 2 and get into chapter 3, and finally we'll get into the main story plot, it starts in chapter 3, so let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this book and the chance to study. Pray that you'll give us insight and wisdom through your spirit that we can see your hand at work that we can uh, see how you do these things and we can recognize your providential work in our own lives lord and that we can um, look back and and give thanks for some of the things that you did and and did not do lord and as we go through we just pray that you'll help us to see that and and appreciate that Um, pray now you'll bless our time we ask this in christ's name amen Okay, for reading uh, to get our context, let's start in chapter two, verse twenty-one, and we'll read through chapter three, verse eleven. Chapter three, eleven is where we'll be the last verse. Two twenty-one.
1: In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bixen and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on the king. Ahondan. But Mordecai
2: found out about the plot and told King Esther, who in turn reported to the king, giving credit to Mordecai.
3: Now, when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. After these things,
1: King Hasidus promoted <coughs> Haman and Haggai and his son <coughs> and, Adapha, and advanced him and said And advanced him and set his throne above all officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Canaan. For the king so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. The members of the royal staff at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? Now it was when they had spoken daily to him and he would not listen to them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason the reason he, okay whether Mordecai's reason would
0: stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. <clears throat> when Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage.
1: But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus.
2: In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the pure, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month, and the lot fell on the twelfth month and the month, of, the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Then
3: Haman said to King Ahasuerus. There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the providences of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people. They do not observe the king's laws, so it is not in the king's interest to let them remain.
1: Mm-hmm. If it please a king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who me, have charged the the business, and they put it into the king's treasuries.
3: The king removed his signet ring from his finger, gave him the son of Hamadatha, the Edomite, the enemy of the Jewish people.
1: The king said to him, "The silver is yours, and the people also. To do with them as
0: you please." Okay. So last week we looked at the um, at twelve month preparation period for these young ladies to be. Basically, to train to become queen, so it was more than the, the, the text talks about the beauty treatments. But you know, after looking at the commentaries and thinking about it, you know, some of them may have had to learn language and court. Um, oh, how to behave themselves as a queen, and and so there was a lot of training that went on. And then they would go into the king, and then the next day they would be put into a different harem. Uh, with the concubines. So <clears throat> Esther stood out among all these physically beautiful women because of her spirit, her nature. Um, we saw she had a humble and submissive spirit, the godly spirit. And as a result, we saw that Ahasuerus loved her. And <clears throat> he chose her and made her queen. Um, he gave a banquet to honor her, declared a national holiday. Uh, So all of this is in celebration, I think, basically of finding a queen that exceeded his expectations. Also, in all of this, Esther did not reveal that she was Jewish, and she did not reveal who her relatives were. So that was remained a, a secret. So, and again, it emphasized that this was done in submission to Mordecai, who had raised her, and she submitted to his instructions. So starting in verse 21, we have kind of a little sub-story, a sub that initially appears to have very little to do with everything else we've been talking about. So looking at verse 21, it says, In those days while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officials, from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahazarus. So what we're gonna learn from this is there's sometimes there's events that happen in our lives that seem to be maybe insignificant, but they fit into God's overall plan and they become part of what's necessary. First off, it says, in those days. So there's this unknown passage of time. However, we can narrow it down. Uh, in verse 16, Esther was, became queen in the seventh year of the king's reign, the tenth month. So it's the end of the seventh year is when he became or she became queen. And in chapter 3, in verse 7, we see the first month in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus, that's when Haman cast lots. So that's the beginning of the 12th year. So we have two bookends, the end of the 7th year and the beginning of the 12th year. So this period of time is years 8, 9, 10, and 11 of King Ahasuerus' reign. So somewhere in that four-year period is when this happens. So during this time, Mordecai is still sitting at the king's gate and indicates he's one of the king's servants. He's a government official. And because of that, he is in and around the palace all the time. That's where he works. We are also given the name of two other uh, officials, uh, Bigthan or Big Thana, depending on your translation, and uh, Teresh. And they are said to guard the door. What does that mean? Well, uh, according to the commentaries, that means they basically guarded the king's private apartment, the door to his private residence. And in the, um, King James, are called chamberlains. So if you, you might see that uh, show up too. And it says they were very angry with the king and they wanted to kill the king. We're not told why, but something made them very angry and wanted to kill him. So looking at verses 22 and 23, but the plot became known to Mordecai and he told Queen Esther and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. So Mordecai hears about the plot, he tells Esther. <clears throat> Esther then goes to the king and warns him of this plot and she makes sure that Mordecai gets the credit for uncovering this plot and, and, and bringing it up. So the, again the king has the plot investigated these two criminals are hanged and, and the plot is Uh, foiled so here we have an important detail it was written in the book of the chronicles in the king's presence so there's a uh, written record the king knows it's there and so that will pop up later as being an important point (coughs) the other thing that's important is what is not done it's not even mentioned here I don't know if you know the story well enough to guess what that was. What did not happen here? Mordecai was not rewarded. He was not honored in any way. So something, and again, this is part of God's plan. That something did not happen. Um, So, you know, sometimes you can look back over your life and, Think of things that did happen that seemed to be totally irrelevant or why did this, you know, why this, why that? And other things that did not happen. And you can see, you know, they're all part of God's plan. Um. Now, as far as assassination plots...
2: I'm expecting a lot of rewards
3: later. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I was, of, you know, I was thinking about that because, like, you know, if you, projects at were or. You know, different
0: things, and you kind of go, oh, you know, one way or the other, and um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I assume sometimes there's, <coughs> there's things that I thought was a great idea, and I wanted to go forward, and it wouldn't go forward, and maybe God knew better. <laughs> he adverted a disaster or something. Um, yes, um, according to history. Uh, About 11 years after this, uh, Ahasuerus was assassinated by the captain of the uh, bodyguards Mm -hmm. with the help of one of his chamberlains. Mm -hmm. Um, This was not uncommon. Mm -hmm. I had read uh, a biography of Alexander the Great. He died probably of malaria, but his father, Philip of Macedon, was... um, assassinated by an angry bodyguard and I think as you go through reading the book of kings there's lots of the kings of Israel and I can't remember if any of Judah but they were assassinated so this was definitely a plot that uh, it fits in with it fits in historically this is not something that looks like a fabrication It's probably it is it fits in. It's not, not odd to see it here. So God has all these pieces into place. Esther is now queen. Uh, Mordecai has been officially recorded as having alerted the king of an assassination plot. And now in chapter 3, we're going to get to the main plot, the main story of Haman and his hatred for the Jews. So looking at verse 1 of chapter 3. After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. So the first thing it tells us is a a little bit of his ancestry. It says he's an Agagite. And that's one of those things that we're not really sure what that means, but it's here for some reason. God put it here. Um, some of the commentaries say, well, it means either he came from a province called Agag or from a people group or a city uh, that's called Agag. But um, some of the other commentaries mention this may have been the fact that he was a descendant of King Agag. Yeah, Agag was an Amalekite. If you remember back this at the time of Solomon. So let's turn back and look at that. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. <clears throat> we'll see the interaction between King Saul and Agag. 1 Samuel 15. Would someone like to read verses 1 through 3?
3: Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey.
0: Okay. This verse might give us some idea of um, God's idea of time. This, this is about uh, 1000 BC. The Exodus was 1400. So we're looking at four centuries after Amalek attacked the Jews um, during the Exodus. Amalek was either, I think he may have been the grandson of Esau. So Jacob and Esau had conflict. And his descendants then attacked the Jews. And so we see this conflict continuing. And now four centuries later, God orders Saul, King Saul to go and destroy Amalek. So this is like a feud that lasts you know, what are we talking about? Six, seven centuries here that's been going on. Um, So Saul's ordered to kill them all, destroy them. But looking down at verse eight, and he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So he left Agag alive. And as you go through this, Samuel shows up. And I think this is where he... We have that famous, what's this I hear, this bleeding of the sheep, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and Saul says, Well, I thought I'd keep them for you know for sacrifices. And Agag's still alive. You know, he disobeyed God. Um, and that's through verse 22. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience is what God required. And we someone like to read verses 32 and 33 for us. <coughs>
1: Samuel said, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. <laughs> and Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel packed Agag to pieces,
2: with the Lord in Okay. So. That's pretty graphic.
0: Uh, yeah, that's pretty graphic. <laughs> Mine says hewed him to pieces. I like hacked him to pieces better. <laughs> Mine says put him
2: to death. Put
0: him to death, yeah. That's. <laughs> oh
2: um,
3: I have a, a note that says the Amalekites were a band of guerrilla terrorists. They lived by attacking other nations and carrying off their wealth and their families. They were the first to attack the Israelites as they entered the Promised Land. They continued <laughs> to build Israelite camps. And then it goes on about their idolatry. <laughs>
0: Yes, yeah. they, they were an evil group, and God wanted them destroyed, wiped out. Um, and finally, Samuel had to do it. Um, do you remember what tribe Saul was from? Benjamin. Benjamin, what tribe is Malachi, or Mordecai from? Mm-hmm. Benjamin. Benjamin. Okay. You know, so there's a lot of... There's a lot of possibility here. I mean, it does not specifically say that this Agag is King Agag who was of the Malachites, but but it fits what we see going on here. Um, we can see this centuries-old animosity between not just the Jews, but the tribe of Benjamin and Amalek. And that may explain some of the of the hatred that we see here they
2: must not kill them all.
0: no, I was kind of I would say probably you 've got refugees you 've got people who escape families, maybe as a nation they were wiped out as a tribe, they were wiped out, but I 'm sure individuals escaped so he <coughs> um, Haman may very well have been um, descended from King Ahag, Agag excuse me. <coughs> So this is, there's some speculation here because it's not clearly told who this agag was. What it does tell us is that Ahasuerus promoted and exalted Haman. Now the different translations use different words, but there's, in this verse, there's three different statements. And the first one says he was either promoted or honored. And that word can be translated to, be, to advance, to exceed, to magnify to go beyond others. Uh, The second term says he was advanced or elevated. That means to lift up or raised up. And then finally it says that either he established his authority over all, uh, gave him a seat of honor higher than all, or set his seat above all. So he's given a position of honor. He's advanced. He's exalted. But his position is above all of what? Everybody
3: else. He's
0: like second. Yeah, yeah he's second. Commi- he's, he's exalted above all the other princes. How many princes do the kings normally have? The primary, the primary advisors? <laughs> yeah. Don't you, no, not sons, but. His, typically it's been seven. seven. Remember, we had, we've had that number seven <clears throat> pop up. So there's supposed to be seven of these high officials, these princes, and Haman gets exalted above all the other six. Now we're not told why this happened. Um, but as we go through and we see Haman's character, it probably was a result of treachery, <laughs> is my guess, not, not merit. Um, I do want to look at a couple examples of how God elevated um, some of his people, some of the Jews, into positions like this. But, again, it was merit-based. Let's look at Genesis 41. This, of course, is Joseph. Genesis 41. Would someone like to read verses 39 through 43? 39
3: through 43. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Keep going. Through through 43, yes. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee, and he sent him over all the land of Egypt.
0: Okay, so all these terms we've just looked at to be exalted, to be honored, to be set above all the others definitely applies to Joseph. Why did the Pharaoh do that? And it so could the wisdom wisdom. Right, God gave Joseph this wisdom and this understanding and so it was it was a merit-based promotion mm-hmm. but but the merit was from God that he gave that he gave Joseph.
3: Which yeah, is an example for our lives. Yeah. You know, if,
0: if there's any recognition. Who gave us ability? Right. Let's look at Daniel chapter 6. As we go through this, we'll, we'll be looking at Daniel every now and then. Daniel chapter 6, someone like to read verses 1 through 3. It pleased
2: Darius to 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. One of them was Daniel. satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not um, suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps provided his excellent qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom.
0: Okay, so here we see uh, Daniel being set up. uh, And this is Darius the Mede. So we're talking about Babylon as basically a province within the Persian Empire So it talks about the kingdom, it's not the entire empire but within the province of Babylon Um, but Daniel had according to New American Standard an extraordinary spirit and that's what set him apart, looking at the end of chapter 5 verse 29 so this is the fall of Babylon then belshazzar gave orders and they clothed daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as a third ruler in the kingdom so he had been honored under belshazzar the babylonian and now under darius the mede he is also raised up and where did all his abilities come from from god yeah, and most of these were his ability to to um, read and understand the messages that God gave to the kings. So again, it was merit-based. Um, just a, a point about with Belshazzar um, and Daniel being named third in the kingdom. Historically, uh, Belshazzar's father was... Uh, Nabonidus, and the two of them had seized the kingdom. They'd seized the throne. Nabonidus was basically retirement age, so he went into retirement. Even though he was officially the first in the kingdom, the king, he wasn't involved. Belshazzar ran the kingdom as the second in the kingdom, and he anointed um, Daniel to be third in the kingdom. So again, this is basically like being the number two man, because number one was actually retired yeah he was it was like he had a seaside villa and he just ignored what was going on Um, so so if you ever wonder what third in the kingdom means that's historically that explains it now we also see in you know in our story esther was raised up by god she's now the queen um We've gone through and looked at Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer to the king. So God always has raised them and put him into certain positions to accomplish his purposes. So God is the one who exalts the humble and destroys the proud. So why has Haman been raised up like this? I think it's a case of Some vessels are made for honor, some are made for dishonor. I think God is going to use Haman to demonstrate his glory and his power as he destroys Haman. We had that back with Pharaoh during the Exodus. In Romans, that's who Paul uses as an example of vessels of dishonor. God raised him up, put him in this high position of power, and then wiped him out. You know, we have a term about giving someone enough rope to hang themselves. I think God does that sometimes, and this is an example, literally. (laughs) So in the book of Daniel, when Darius raised Daniel up to be the number two man, what did the other satraps try to do? They tried to catch him and eliminate him with the lion's den. This is the story of lions. They tried to kill Daniel because he was been raised up above them. So what do all the other princes here do with Haman? Well, let's look at verses 2 through 4. It says, All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him but Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai why are you transgressing the king's command now it was when they had spoken daily to him and he would not listen to them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand for he had told them that he was a Jew so they basically all knelt before Haman. Now these were a lot of lower officials It doesn't necessarily mention the other six what we would call princes but they probably did the same thing we're not told but they probably followed the king's command Haman had gotten the king to order this to (coughs) to bow before him and we're not told of any plots against Haman from the other six princes so they basically said, OK, you know, he's, he's number two. And this is where I, I think in terms of how he got there was probably <coughs> by treachery and intrigue. And, and they knew that if they tried to stand up to Haman that they probably would end up dead or something. They were probably in fear of him. Um, But we see that these other officials, these are all the servants who are at the king's gate. These are all the government officials. They are encouraging Mordecai to bow down. He said, this this is the law. The king's commanded this. You need to do it. You're going to get in trouble. Um, And he would not do it. And so eventually they reported him to Haman. And they included his reason for it. Now, we're not told specifically why he would refuse to bow down. But it's mentioned there in verse 4 that he said that he was a Jew and that somehow his reason for not bowing down was related to the fact that he was a Jew. Um, So there's a lot of discussion when you read through the commentaries. Why didn't Mordecai bow down? Um, The Jews did bow to kings. Let's go back to 1 Samuel, chapter 24, 1 Samuel, chapter 24, would someone like to read verse 8 for us? 1 Samuel 24, 8.
1: Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and came home.
0: Okay, so this is exactly what Mordecai was supposed to do to Haman. And David did it to Saul. So this is not condemned as a violation of the law. Because <clears throat> this, this Saul is the king. He's the Lord's anointed. So David is basically showing his submission to God's authority because God anointed Saul. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 1. First Kings chapter 1, and would someone like to read verses 15 and 16 here? First Kings 1, verses 15 and 16.
3: ministering to the king then Bathsheba bowed and prostrated herself before the king and the king said what do you wish
0: okay so here Bathsheba is bowing down before king David so we have another example of a Jew bowing before the king um, in this case it was one of the other sons who was trying to maneuver into position to take over the throne and and Bathsheba was going into asked David to uh, specifically crown Solomon. So that's what the event was. And she is bowing down before the king. So it wasn't prohibited specifically by the law. So what some of the commentaries suggest is that Haman was presenting himself as some sort of deity um, and that he should be worshipped, in which case that would violate Uh, The law. Um, Some just said Mordecai was too proud. He wasn't going to bow to anybody. And as we look through the book, we do see, we don't see that in his character. Um, Some will go back and talk about Amalek versus Israel and and that this was their mortal enemy and he wasn't going to bow to their enemy. And so it's pretty much ambiguous. Um, I think it's probably that he was being asked to bow to a mere man and it was considered as a form of idolatry. And that's why he refused to bow. <coughs> now going back to Herodotus again, good old Herodotus, um, he records an instance where some Spartans had come to Susa before King Xerxes. Xerxes is a Ahasuerus. And they refused to bow to him because they said, it is not our custom to bow before mortal man. So that's a very similar incident. And so the Spartans wouldn't bow to him because he was not a, to the king because he was not a god. And so similar to that, I could see Mordecai refusing to bow to Haman because he was not a god and we can see his egos enough that he probably wanted to be treated as a god. <coughs> and what's really amazing is you can, you can go on the internet and do a, into a search engine and type in Herodotus 7.136 and you can read that paragraph. <laughs> I didn't know that was all in there, so I looked up the reference. Okay, so he's not bowing down. Um, I think we could look at, we can start 5 and 6. This is Haman's reaction. Um, Verses 5 and 6. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for They had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. So Haman's reaction was rage, um, wrath. His ego demanded that everyone bow down to him, and Mordecai refused. Now the word for rage or wrath is the, the Hebrew word that describes Hot instantaneous fury. Um, Like a volcanic eruption, kind of. Let's go back to chapter one, verse twelve. Someone would like to read that with the same word here. The
1: Queen Bosh refused to come to the king at the king's command, led by the eunuch. At this the king
0: became enraged and his anger burned within him. Okay, so we see his anger, his wrath burns within him. And again, it's the same thing. You've got someone in power and their ego is being attacked. Um, And so they react with a sudden rage. Let's turn to Daniel again. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. This is all... From looking at that same word that we have here. Daniel chapter 3. And someone like to read verse 19 for us. This was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego.
3: Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually.
0: Okay, So he had had given these three guys a chance to repent of their sin of not bowing before his statue. And they said, nope, we're not going to do it. And this is the result. You see this hot wrath. His face is contorted. Uh, And it's all because of an ego. And in every case, it's someone who who thinks that they should be worshipped in a sense. And I think we all in some cases we have to deal with that because I think if I feel sudden anger it's usually because someone insults me and that's that's the response but I'm, you know it's kind of like I'm aware of that so I, you know I don't continue on but it's that's the way our old natures work if it's an insult against your your being you feel this this sudden wrath um, But again, the the word here to pay homage or to pay honor often goes through Scripture. It's translated as the word referring to worship. So let's go back to to Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the first giving of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 8 and 9.
3: an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth you know you shall not worship them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me.
0: okay so our word here that we've been looking at to pay homage is in Deuteronomy is translated to worship so it's it's that same idea the same word
3: so like in the new testament where it talks about give honor to those that do, that's a different word it's that's a different
0: worship. word that's not it's worship right something. right so haman's not a- asking for just respect mm-hmm. he's asking for worship in a sense here and so you know, we can understand why mordecai would not want to do that and and so his reaction here is is to seek revenge um you know, if someone bruises my ego, I want to hit them back. You know, that's our natural response, um, and that may be someone, you know, in a high position of power, like these guys, with their egos on the line. Or in some cases, we may just feel insecure. You know, and someone says something that hurts our feelings. It's kind of the same thing. You know, we're not. Not in power, but they hurt our feelings because they say something that we perceive as an insult of our abilities or something. And so we want to hit them back. We want revenge. And God tells us we, we should not do that. Okay, so we're going to have to stop halfway through this, between these two sections. But We'll see that, you know, Mordecai wants, re- or excuse me, Haman wants revenge. He wants to hit back. But it's not enough just to hit back at Mordecai. He wants to wipe out the entire Jewish race. He is so furious for that. So. so that's where we'll pick up next week. Joe, would you like to close for us? <coughs> Excuse me.
2: Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the way this living word that speaks to us. There's also a historical word that lets happened in the past how you took care of those that loved you in the past and how that same standard takes place today, how you take care of those who love you today. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the way it speaks to us, the way it directs us, guides us. Just pray that we'll be obedient to your callings. We thank you for this hour. We pray for the next hour to come when Robert brings us, that we'll be with worship attitude, ready to worship you. In your prayer share pray. Amen. Amen.